0: Beyond, DamascusCitizens.org. This is Rosie Starr for Radio Catskill. Welcome to Farm and Country, locally produced radio about rural life in the Catskills and the Delaware River Valley. On today's show, Keith Hubbard has a Star Talk report on this week's partial solar eclipse. Christine San Jose narrates along the poet's row on the theme of fishing. Sweetwater fishing guide Evan Padua has a Hooked on Fishing report for early June in the Upper Delaware River. Members of the Tustin Heritage Community Garden are on hand to greet Tannis Qualchuk for the annual transplanting of her pollinator flowers nurtured at Willow Wisp Organic Farm. All of that coming up on today's Farm and Country here on Radio Catskill. But first, news headlines from NPR. Live
1: from NPR News, I'm Barbara Klein. The group of seven advanced economies have announced a historic deal at a meeting in London today. Willem Mark says they've agreed to a minimum tax rate on multinational companies.
2: Finance chiefs in the world's richest group of seven countries have agreed to a landmark country-by-country country global minimum tax rate on large companies. For larger international corporations, profit margins of more than 10% will be taxed at a higher 20% rate, with proceeds then shared among the nations where those firms sell their products or services.
1: Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen says the deal protects national sovereignty and curbs what she calls the race to the bottom in corporate taxation. The Biden administration and Republican lawmakers are again stalemated over an infrastructure plan. President Biden yesterday rejected the latest GOP offer, calling it too narrow. NPR's Aisha Roscoe reports the White House says Biden plans to resume negotiations next week.
3: The White House says that Republican Senator Shelley Moore Capito offered to raise the current Republican proposal for infrastructure spending by $50 billion. Capito is leading a group of Senate Republicans in talks with the White House for a potential compromise. Before the latest offer, Capito had said her group would back $928 billion in spending. But only a small portion of that money would be new spending. Biden said the increased offer was still not enough to meet his objectives to grow the economy and tackle climate change. Talks between Biden and Capitol will resume on Monday. Aisha Roscoe, NPR News, the White House.
1: California's ban on assault weapons has been overturned. Adrian Hill of member station KQED reports the decision was handed down in federal court. California's ban on assault weapons, including AR-15 rifles, is more than three decades old. On Friday, federal court judge Roger Benitez said the state's statutes, quote, unconstitutionally infringe the Second Amendment rights of California citizens. He called the laws a failed experiment. California Governor Gavin Newsom issued a statement in response to the ruling calling it a direct threat to public safety and promising to continue to push for stricter gun laws. The judge issued a temporary stay of his ruling, which could allow time for the California Attorney General to appeal. For NPR News, I'm Adrian Hill. Protesters in Minneapolis faced off with police early this morning after a U.S. marshal's fugitive task force shot and killed a man Thursday. Authorities say the 32-year-old man, who was wanted on alleged weapons violation, fired at the officers from inside his car. Police say some protesters looted businesses. This is NPR. Support comes from Van
2: Gorder's Furniture, featuring Lodge and Adirondack styles, as well as rustic collections. With showrooms at Lake and downtown Honesdale, and Milford, PA. Van Gorder's Furniture brings the outdoors inside. VanGorders.com
0: This is Rosie Starr. Welcome back to Farm and Country. Coming up, Christine San Jose narrates Along the Poet's Row. Sweetwater fishing guide Evan Padua sports binoculars and is hooked on fishing report. Janice Qualchuk transplants her pollinator-friendly offerings at the Tustin Heritage Community Garden in Narrowsburg, New York. First up is Keith Hubbard with this week's Star Talk report. Thank you for joining us for this week's locally produced Farm and Country.
4: Country, I'm Keith Hubbard, and this is Star Talk. On Thursday morning, the new moon will swing directly in front of the sun, setting up a solar eclipse. The new moon will not completely cover the sun, so a ring of sunshine will surround the new moon. This type of eclipse is called an annular eclipse. However, we will not see an annular eclipse from our region, but we will see an impressive partial solar eclipse instead. The partial eclipse will begin before the sun rises on Thursday and will reach its maximum eclipse 15 minutes after the sun rises. At the time of maximum eclipse, which will be at 5.35 a.m., the sun will be 80% covered by the moon. The sun will take on a crescent shape with its lighted side downward. This will occur about 2 degrees above the horizon, so an unobstructed eastern horizon will be essential. The partial eclipse will last for about one hour after the maximum eclipse. As with all solar eclipses, it is important to never look directly at the sun. The only way to safely view the sun will be to either filter the sun's rays using eclipse glasses or to project an image of the sun. You can make your own projector by cutting a circle in a piece of paper and placing a white piece of paper beneath it. Hold the cut out piece of paper toward the sun and move the white piece of paper until the sun's image appears. Get up at sunrise on Thursday to watch the partial solar eclipse. If you have any questions, comments, or ideas for future Star Talk segments, my email address is startalk at farmandcountry.org. For Farm and Country and Star Talk, this has been Keith Hubbard reminding you to keep looking up.
5: For WJFF and Farm and Country, this is Christine San Jose. Sorry, no one here along the Poets Road this morning. We've all gone fishing. Well, come with us. Here's someone you'd like to meet, Dave Lilly, told us by his friend Joyce Kilmer. There's a brook on the side of Greylock that used to be full of trout, but there's nothing there now but minnows. They say it's all fished out. "'I fished there many a summer some twenty years ago, "'and I never quit without getting a mess of a dozen or so. "'There was a man. "'Dave Lily lived on the North Adams Road, "'and he spent all his time fishing while his neighbours reaped and sowed. "'He was the luckiest fisherman in the Berkshire Hills, I think, "'and when he didn't go fishing he'd sit in the tavern and drink. "'Well, Dave is dead and buried and nobody cares very much.' "'They have no use in Greylock for drunkards and loafers and such. "'But I always liked Dave, Lily. "'He was pleasant as you could wish. "'He was shiftless and good for nothing, but he certainly could fish. "'The other night I was walking up the hill from Williamstown, "'and I came to the brook I mentioned, "'and I stopped on the bridge and sat down. "'I looked at the blackened water with its little flecks of white, "'and I heard it ripple and whisper.' "'in the still of the summer night. "'And after I'd been there a minute, "'it seemed to me I could feel "'the presence of someone near me, "'and I heard the hum of a reel. "'And the water was churned and broken, "'and something was brought to land "'by a twist and flirt of a shadowy rod "'in a deft and shadowy hand.' I scrambled down to the brookside and hunted all about. There wasn't a sign of a fisherman. There wasn't a sign of a trout. But I heard somebody chuckle behind the hollow oak, and I got a whiff of tobacco like Lily used to smoke. It's fifteen years, they tell me, since anyone fished that brook, and there's nothing in it but minnows that nibble the bait off your hook. "'But before the sun has risen and after the moon has set, "'I know that it's full of ghostly trout for Lily's ghost to get. "'I guess I'll go down to the tavern and get a bottle of rye "'and leave it down by the hollow oak where Lily's ghost went by. "'I meant to go up on the hillside and try to find his grave "'and put some flowers on it. "'But this'll be better for Dave.' This has been Christine San Jose for Farm and Country along the poet's road.
2: WJFF and Farm and Country, this is Evan Padua bringing you Hooked on Fishing. Be sure to have a pair of binoculars when fishing the Upper Delaware River this spring. It is fun to get a closer look at the creatures of our area when you spot them. Baby foxes, fawns, beavers, and eagles are all about and abundant with new life around our area. Binoculars are also a great tool for zooming in on the surface of the water. When you see fish feeding on the surface, using binoculars to observe their feeding will often give you a better idea of how to catch them. Fish are usually eating bugs on, near, or just under the surface when you see them ripple in our river, commonly observed around this area. The weather has warmed up the river's water temperatures recently, and the reservoir releases have been dropped to low levels. This provides low, clear water, and the fish will spook easily. The water temperatures also fluctuate more drastically when the water is low and clear. In general, fish don't seem to like rapid changes in temperature. During these conditions, fishing early in the a.m. or late in the p.m. are generally both the best options. Low, clear water and high, bright sun make for tough fishing conditions. Using a lighter test line and less visible is advantageous during this time. The American Shad are thick in the Upper Delaware River system now. They'll be here till mid-June. Now is the time to catch them, if you haven't already. They will soon be swimming in circles in our river, close to the surface, and begin to die. This is a natural life cycle of this anodromous fish. Their decaying flesh and offspring provide great nutrients to our river system. Bald eagles are often seen snatching dead shad out of the Delaware River and eating them. It is a cool sight to see. For WJFF, Farming and Country, and Hooked On Fishing, this has been Evan Padua, casting off.
0: For WJFF Radio Catskill, this is Rosie Starr, back at the Tustin Heritage Community Garden. In mid-May, we're past the frost date, and Tannis Kolchak from Will-O-Wisp Organic Farm is here. She's going to transplant some seedlings of hers to the Tustin Heritage Community Garden.
6: Hi. Hi, <laughs> Hi Rosie. They're tall, so they would need to go in pretty soon. Oh, if you great. plant them tightly together, they're pure sunflower. Okay. You can plant them even six six inches apart, no problem. Nice. And then you can cut every other one if you want to like have a couple sunflowers at the I shop or wherever.
0: Beautiful.
6: And cosmos. Cosmos. The bees love the cosmos. My favorite. Thing. And the butterflies love the cosmos. The, the zinnias, so the zinni- marigolds. Mm-hmm. This is a black-eyed susan this is a salvia this is a celosia this is a foliage called mahogany splendor and this is love in the mist love in the mist it's a nigella everybody is pollinator friendly the blue especially they love Yeah, and the salvia is great for the bees. They love that. And this is something that's a relation to bachelor buttons. It's called basket flower. And it's a really unique flower. It'll get quite tall. And it makes little baskets that open up into just like splendid light purple, like huge star flowers. They're crazy looking. Mm. So I think we'll put those in the center this year. Yeah, they're very tall. Okay, so I'm going to just do a bit of a layout here uh, yes. to figure out what I want to do. There's a good mix
0: this year, so of varieties. As usual, <laughs> Juliet is joining us in the Tustin Heritage Community Garden. Her and Annie are working very hard to get the watering system uh, it's time to start thinking about when to water when it hasn't rained. Juliet, would you like to just tell us a, a little bit about how the water is gathered for the garden?
7: Yes, with great pleasure, Rosie. So we have a gravity-fed passive water collection system in place. We are looking at five large tanks which are connected in two areas of the Western Sullivan Public Library Then we do cherish we're very happily connected to that roof and then coming down through gravity, we're kind of like one level lower than the library ground floor. And then the garden is itself one more level down. So we have actually, you can see, we have actually a really great pressure. Uh, we go all around the garden, we have two host connection. Yeah.
0: That is the sound of our water. Well, the gardeners appreciate it when it doesn't rain to have access to this. We have to nurture Tannis's seedlings. <laughs> Julia, I think you mentioned you put comfrey in. I'm tilling comfrey in the bed,
7: just the leaf, in order to use it as a nitrogen fixer. And it's a great addition to the soil. It actually grows um, on the edge of the garden and this one is a Russian one and it makes this fabulous blue flower that the bee adores So, and and many pollinators gather around them so very precious, a good addition to the compost pile too, that's wonderful to till in, or directly in the bed
0: It's good for the bees and then it provides nutrients to the soil Tana seems very happy with the soil
6: Yeah, it's pretty great Um, did
3: you notice that the uh western sullivan public library programming has just started planting their bed annie stanley pointed out that there's a tag in one of the beds it's the wspl the western sullivan public library programming with the children's and they have they've come back after the pandemic period and they are in the garden again here they've recently planted something not sure what with these colorful straws and then they have also a bed on the fence to do some climber planting they are carrying on this program that they started before the pandemic where they are going to be getting their master gardener certification as children so it's pretty amazing they're back and we're happy they're back so we might see some youngins running around in the garden that'll be Great to see them again.
0: Yeah, it rounds out a community garden to have the presence of children in it. It's fun. So we'll look forward to seeing (laughs) their handiwork, what the colorful straws are representing.
3: Yeah, and they're also doing maintenance uh, with the garden. You know, they're going to be doing things to maintain the community garden, mulching and weeding. It's, It's a whole community effort to keep it
0: The garden itself really looks beautiful with all the mulching that's been going on. The the participants have been with cardboard and mulch, and the soil here is so dark. You get a a load of compost and mulch. Chicken manure um, from Bry's farm last year.
3: Prior to that, we got mushroom compost soil from a farm in Pennsylvania. We got also some donated horse manure at one time. Dirt Diva tested the soil, did a soil testing a few years ago, and it was amazing, the results. uh, So we have great soil here, and it is organic. Everyone is planting organic non-GMO seeds, so it only makes sense to have really great soil. I haven't seen this enthusiasm in the garden. I mean, last year was amazing because everybody was... The garden was a respite from the pandemic, so people were in here early planting... It was a place you could go that was safe, and it was therapeutic. This year, it's even earlier. Everyone is so motivated, and I think we have a full house and some new members. We have a few new members, people who have moved up from the city and who want to get involved
0: in the community. Everybody here puts a lot of effort into it, so it is a community effort.
3: We've had to do some infrastructure repairs. We had to repair some raised beds, and we're doing some fence repairs ongoing. We have, since last summer, bluebirds nesting in the back, and that finally in that birdhouse. Our outside gardens, which uh, it's also part of the Nara'sburg Beautification Group, they are very established now. We have. Five, six fruit trees Julia can tell you about that Um, She's been working hard on that effort It's like a public orchard project
7: Mm -hmm. So we're looking at a fabulous Peach tree over there Which is now uh, five years old And then We can hop to the cherry We got two pears going For pollination They need the pear ring And two plum trees as well We've been enjoying the diversity. You can see them some are much uh, younger over there. Being placed like that on the hill, we were challenged by protecting it, you know, from the deers. They can lean a little bit over the, the cages, but we've um, we've enlarged our cages with the help of our great intern, narrow's Bird Beautification Group, and we're very happy to uh, to carry on this year with enlarging all of the pollinator-friendly. Uh, bed than you're seeing around the large rocks. So those areas are for mixed pollinators as well as person to mingle. So you can come and sit, um, read, have picnics on those large boulders with the most exquisite view of the Delaware.
0: Yes, and the entrance of the garden is the pollinator garden. And it's very important because we understand that the the butterflies come by on a way station.
7: Absolutely. So we are a way station and we have had now for many years, have had the the great pleasure of being a nursery to Monarch Butterflies. And uh, I've dedicated all my gardens to them with the great help and support and knowledge of Ed Wesley, our favorite butterfly man. Then you know very well, Rosie.
0: Yes, he has uh, donated quite a bit of, of time here. And last year I had the blessing to stand in front of him while he was uh, pruning the buddleia trees in anticipation of this year of them coming back. He's very vigilant and knowledgeable about monarch butterflies and we are all very grateful to have been in his presence and his knowledge. So let's get back to the garden and see if Tanis could use some help.
6: You have a spade in your hand, okay. We'll do a center aisle here or a center row of cosmos. Because they'll get nice and tall, Mm -hmm. and they'll have pretty flowers, pinks, whites. This is a kind of a mix of varieties, you know. Yeah, loosen up that soil for it to spread out. These guys got pretty tall in the greenhouse in the little cell trays they were planted in, so... Giving them their stems a good support's a good idea. Let's do a end an end of this like beautiful love in the mist. Okay. Or Nigella. Look at the color of these roots too. But see how yellow these roots are? Oh they're fluorescent yellow. Oh why is that? I don't know. It's the variety, I guess. Is that too far on the end to put one? Yeah, do it. Why not? Yeah. Okay. And now we have the center row, and then we're going to have another row of flowers. So I'm thinking, we've done marigolds on that bed. I have some scabiosa. If I can just discern. This looks like a scabiosa. Okay, then I figured we'd we'd do a ring of... Of the zinnias just because they add the color. So great. This one can go in the corner. So, shall I just drop them for you? Yeah.
0: Yeah, drop them where you
6: want. Boom. Boom. And get them pretty close to the end so Mm -hmm. they'll just kind of spill over in a nice way. So, have you never
3: seen spinach come back like.
6: It's not a perennial. No, I know it does do that on our farm too. Like kale will come back, yeah. and spinach yeah, will come came back. Kale back in mine. Yeah, and tomatoes come back. The ones, the heirloom ones we planted, right, we find them reseed. in the and be- the yeah. paths
3: and everywhere. But we've never seen that it spinach.
6: I think that's still the same plant root that just restarted growing. Yeah, it's not oh, even yeah. reseeded. It's just yeah. just the same. It just
0: stayed under the snow that way. Yeah. Because when you eat it, it's not like it's baby soft.
6: No, it's exactly. Tough. It's, it's overwintered.
0: Yeah. But that's, I mean, you know, unless it's bad to eat, mm-hmm. I don't think it is. I
6: don't think so. Yeah. Not at all. We've been eating those on oh, the farm.
0: Does this look like a hole that needs filling or we're just giving it space? It's giving it space because <laughs> okay. these
6: guys get bushy. Yeah.
0: I think we're good.
6: Okay. You know, we want to do more, but you're the boss. You can't really. I mean, maybe we could do one thing here. I'll do another celosia. voilà! That's the flowers, and then you get to have fun with the sunflowers.
0: The garden will come into fruition because of this great group effort. So. I'm going to go over to my bed and put some sunflowers into my bed and put my little stick with my name on it. <laughs> or in the little birdhouse, there's a bluebird. I love seeing that. The Tustin Heritage Community Garden is a non-profit community garden located on Demoral Lane behind the Western Sullivan Public Library in Narrowsburg, New York. The garden practices permaculture principles and annual memberships are available by suggested donation. Information is available on their Facebook page or email. Tustinhcg at gmail.com For WJFF Radio Catskill and Farming Country, this is Rosie Star at the Tustin Heritage Community Garden. I think I'll plant a sunflower right between the garlic and the spinach. We hope that you enjoyed our show this week with production by volunteers. Keith Hubbard, Christine San Jose, and Evan Padua. Special thanks goes to our guest, members of the Tustin Heritage Community Garden, Juliette Armand, Annie Stanley, and Tannis Qualchuk of Willowisp Organic Farm. This has been your host, Rosie Starr. Thanks for listening to Farm and Country on WJFF Radio Catskill. For 50 years, NPR has brought you perspective on the news, the big picture, the crucial context.
1: Public radio is also a place for perspective you might not hear anywhere else. 50 years from now, when people are wondering what happened with the Minneapolis uprisings of 2020, they can literally come back to these boys.